0: Hello and welcome to the first Carbon Neutral Lent podcast. Woo. It is Ash Wednesday. My name is Dara Wynn.
1: And my name is Eleanor O'Brien.
0: And for all of Lent, we're going to be having a weekly podcast letting you know how we've gotten on going carbon neutral.
1: It's exciting!
0: Um, so I suppose to give you a rough outline of what's going to happen in this episode we're going to explain a bit about what being carbon neutral is Mm -hmm. why we decided to do this and then just talk about the general state of things
1: Mm. yeah so that's kind of it that's it that's it
0: um so uh
1: (laughs) we're going to be cutting in and out of this as well so it's fine
0: no, 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 this this is it. Oh, okay. Is really? it. If <laughs> I don't learn how to edit things, Eleanor, then this is it.
1: Oh, amazing. It's okay. going to
0: be three-hour episodes. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of awkward silence, <laughs> a lot of repetition.
1: And a lot of me going, yay.
0: I did learn how to edit, so we will be having a 40-minute episode rather than three hours.
1: Yay.
0: And minimal awkward silences.
1: Yay
0: and not too much of Eleanor saying yay. So, what exactly is carbon-neutral Lent?
1: Um, Well, I'll tell you what we're going to be doing for carbon-neutral Lent, is that we will be recording the amount of carbon we use during Lent, and then after Lent is over, we'll be planting trees to help offset the amount of carbon we've used. So, what we're going to have to be doing is, we're going to have to calculate our carbon footprint for electricity, transport food, and for whatever else there is possible to calculate the carbon footprint for.
0: Yeah, so I suppose we all know that the petrol in our cars produce greenhouse gases and that fossil fuels are burnt to heat our houses and generate electricity in Ireland. Um, What we probably don't think about is the carbon footprint of all the other stuff. Mm. Um, So like the food we eat, the clothes we wear, all generate greenhouse gases in their production as well. And some things are surprisingly bad and some things are probably not as bad as you think. So we'll be looking in as much detail as we can at the effect of our personal lifestyles as a whole on our carbon footprint and trying to reduce them as much as possible. But it's all learning as we go along.
1: Yeah, and I think the main thing as well that we were trying to do was that, again, it was the idea that we want to affect... Um, climate change directly as individuals because it's very hard to to uh, uh, i think on a whole to be like tackle the problem like be like oh yeah we're going to change it but we were kind of trying to make it more empowering for us to feel like oh we can actually change something
0: absolutely it's hugely overwhelming when you think about climate change and you see these terrifying reports about how bad things are going to get and you're kind of thinking oh what can i do as an individual and it's also you don't know You know what I mean? It's like, okay, if I give up beef, but I'm buying avocados, is that worse? Is that better? And it's that case of you don't know, you don't have the information, so you just don't do anything. And that's a fairly natural um, and acceptable response, I would say, because it's overwhelming. So we're trying to give ourselves that sense of control to be able to, to know that what we're doing is good or even to know that what we're doing is bad. But once you know... And you own it, it just makes it all feel more manageable. Um,
1: And I think it's also giving you the power to do something as well, that if you want to get involved and you want to do it...
0: Absolutely, and I think it's really important to point out that we are not experts by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, We have learned a lot just by... I I suppose if we take it right back, Eleanor... I was kind of, when I I moved back to Ireland in September and kind of had some free time and decided I wanted to do something about climate change and was just kind of trying to think of stuff on my own as to what I could do. Mm. And then one of our mutual friends mentioned that you were really into climate stuff as well. And I think once we started talking about stuff together, it made a huge difference in
1: because I think like I've been <laughs> I've been talking about this for years. I've been driving my family crazy talking about it just because when I was younger, I was in primary school and I had a, a teacher who knew a lot about it and taught like us about just taught us the science behind like the ozone layer and oh, how like if if the world heats up all the bad things that are going to happen. And so I've been talking about it for ages. So then, when our mutual friend told me that you really were getting involved in it, I was like, "Oh, brilliant! There's going to be another one." And also a huge thing as well, which I never really thought of. I stopped talking about it to people. So when I was growing up, I didn't mention it, and I wouldn't bring it up. But I'd be really interested in it. I didn't want to bring it up because I I don't know if I felt shame around it, or I just felt it wasn't a topic people wanted to hear about.
0: You know we've said that we've learned a lot from this whole process already. And for me, that is the take home message that that I've learned is that we've we've put this stuff up online. Um, and like I said, we're not experts, and probably a lot of our friends might have been aware how interested we were mm. in all of this. But once we set up the page, it kind of gives you an excuse to talk to people. But it also gives people an excuse to talk to you about it. You know, so it's been lovely. One of the great things about this Mm. is that like a few of my friends that I would never have expected have started talking to me about it and asking me things about it. And there are, you know, there are lots of people out there that are concerned that do want to talk about it. And it's like you said, it's an issue that that people just don't talk about because i think the reaction is that you know you say something to climate change and even i've got gotten it when we've talked about this mm. and they say oh i don't want to know about it it'll just make me depressed
1: yeah like i think that's fair enough to be like oh it's a, it's a heavy topic it's not good and the reason it's not good is because people feel they can't do anything about it so people don't want to talk about things that they can't You know, that they, like, if again, like, I'm not going to be bringing up, like, this horrible thing happening if I feel I have no way of solving it. Because you don't want to bring out these, those things up. And we've got some psychology, I believe, behind that, do we, Dara? Dara studied a little (laughs) bit of psychology.
0: Um, I was going to talk through some stuff that I'd read on a great website called ChasingHubcaps.com. There are about 20 articles there that discuss reasons why people do and do not engage in climate action. And it's written by Claire Watson, who's completing a PhD in UCC. After we recorded this episode, how is that for slick editing? I bet you didn't even notice. I decided that rather than me try to explain her research, it would be much better to chat to Claire to talk us through some of the underlying reasons for climate inaction. Claire grew up on an organic farm and later got involved in various environmental grassroots campaigns while also living the most sustainable life she could with her partner, building a straw bale house in West Cork, generating their own electricity and growing as much of their own food as possible. We'll join the conversation with Claire telling me that she was beginning to realise that they weren't making the impact on other people that they had hoped.
2: And we just felt we weren't gaining traction with people. And we were organizing kind of tours of our house and of our life, and only the converted were turning up. So I was thinking, what is wrong with everyone else? And then when I started reading into it, it was quite interesting because I turned my head around and I started asking myself the question is, why don't I understand How the rest of the world thinks, (laughs) and I
0: think that is such a good that is such a good perspective. I think to come from, and then you kind of think that it's either a lack of awareness or apathy. But I think after reading, after reading ChasingHubcaps dot com, there's actually a lot more going on than that, isn't there?
2: Yeah, and I think it 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 kind of behooves us to try and understand it rather than to judge people because I think uh, a problem in the past, particularly in the environmental movement, and myself included, we were out there banging the drum and trying to make people care about things and trying to maybe shame them into it, make them feel guilty. Um, The messaging was often fear-driven. You know, if if you don't do something now, this is what's going to happen. The apocalypse will, will be down on all of us. And I learned fairly quickly that negative messaging, for instance, doesn't work. So if we tell people how bad it's going to get in the future, it's very hard, firstly, for people to kind of anticipate how that will be, if it's going to be in the future, but also if you don't quite understand how it will pan out. So fear messaging works if you say to someone, listen, there's a hole in the road, Um, don't walk into it. And I will think, oh my God, that's a disaster because I know what will happen if I walk into it. I'll fall down the, the big hole and hurt myself. Um, so the fear message will work with me then because I know exactly what would happen if I didn't um, if, if, if I didn't take care whereas with climate change it's very uncertain that you know how it will actually pan out for me in my own life it's uncertain how the weather will actually um, you know how the, the, the weather changes will will impact on me and it does seem unfortunately still to a lot of people that it's going to happen way in the future which of course is not the case because we're already seeing some some weather changes. Um, but if people feel it's uncertain or it's in the future, it's much easier to discount it. It's called discounting the future. Um, and people are very averse to kinds of risks that they don't understand or that they can't see the implications of.
0: I think that it is it's such an abstract problem that people just really really struggle to Engage with it, and it's uh,
2: very, it's very big as well. So, I mean, when you hear people talking about it, it's global, the implications of, of globally are huge and people talk about massive things like drought or huge storms. And um, I think that the, the a psychological reaction to something that's so apocalyptic is, as you said earlier, it is apathy for some people. It's denial for others. Or for a lot of us, it's just, oh, my God, like, what can I do if it's such a big problem? Me turning off my light switches isn't really going to do much good. So you kind kind of get lost in the enormity of it. One thing I say to people is that we need to um, <clears throat> talk, we need to mention climate change in our conversation. And you don't have to go on ad nauseum about the negative implications of climate change or how it's going to be so awful It just has to come into the conversation and then you start telling people what you're doing about it yourself because um, there's something very powerful of someone just saying, look, I'm concerned about this and this is what I'm doing. And you don't have to say, and you must do it now yourself and if you don't, there'll be this or there'll be that. There's something about just modeling. Um, You know, this is what I'm doing and there we go. And then if your friend respects you, or the person you're talking to knows that you're a reliable character within their social sphere, um, they may well be influenced and they will then start asking you questions or they may down the line then do what you're doing, you know.
0: That was Claire Watson there. And if you enjoyed that, be sure to go and read more on ChasingHopeCaps.com. And I'm hoping that we'll be hearing much more from Claire as the weeks go by. So if you want to know if you're one of these people, That want to do something about climate change and don't know what to do one of the most important things you can do is just start talking to people about it Mm. and for us like i said once we started talking about it you just feel a little more hopeful you kind of can bounce ideas off people you can talk about your concerns and also we need to start talking about it you know and i think i think we should know more about it you know i think if you look at the bigger picture of say if you want to know about current affairs you look at the news and mm. you're not an expert but you can talk about politics <laughs> or you can talk about sport or you can talk about the kardashians like why do i know kim and chloe and uh, there's another one I'm I <laughs> but know, why right? do i know about this i shouldn't know i shouldn't know why do i know these names do you know what i mean and it's kind of like you know get it out there yeah so get it out there talk about it and it's kind of that is the main thing Yeah. That you can do
1: absolutely. Um, another thing that I was thought was interesting, there. I tend to compartmentalize my life. I've only noticed recently that if I was, if because I do, I do teaching, do a little bit of teaching, do a little bit of acting, and do a little bit of other stuff as well, whatever the other uh, the other miscellaneous is, and I would never have spoken about the environment to any of those groups. And only recently, I was meeting a director there and an actor the other day, and I was like, they were like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, I'm actually a doing this cool thing called Carbon Neutral Lent. And I was really like, you know, Joan, you're kind of nervous of telling somebody something. I don't know, it's almost like having a, a dark secret that you're like, jeez, I actually love playing with magnets or something mad. <laughs> it's like, jeez, I actually love the environment. Don't tell anybody. And like the, the other actor kind of said to me, geez, I'm really glad you're doing that. And I was like, thank you. And again, just kind of saying to different groups that people you wouldn't think would have any interest in it at all kind of turned around and go like, oh, do you know what? Actually, I, I actually have been mean to something about the environment. Um, but I, I don't know what to do. And that's the main thing that gets back where people are like, we don't know what to do. So this is what we're doing. And also, if you don't know what to do and if it, you do find it incredibly horrible talking to other people, just come onto the page and we'll help you out. Absolutely. We'll, we'll redirect you. We'll give you some, some things to do. And this is the main thing you can do. We have a thing you can do and it'll make you feel good at the end of it. Hopefully, no promises. <laughs> but I'm sure it will.
0: I suppose we should talk break down a little bit more the process of, of carbon neutral Lent and how mm. we're measuring things.
1: Yeah. Okay, so Dara um, really, really fantastically has made this delightful spreadsheet, okay? He's made a spreadsheet where you can calculate all your CO2, but I'd like to ask him specifically, Dara, how are we going to calculate our electricity?
0: Okay, so electricity had a couple of considerations. Um, yeah you'll see on the sort of electricity ads Mm. and uh, different stuff that they say their electricity is 100% green. Yeah. So that's all coming from renewable sources. So I think you could, if you are doing this and you're with electricity, you could just say, right, my electricity is carbon neutral. I don't need to count it. What we're doing uh, personally is we're taking the statistics from SEAI, which is the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, and we're getting, they have a figure for the Grams, of CO2 per kilowatt hour used of electricity. So I think it's about 400 grams per kilowatt hour. So then basically each week, we'll just look at our electricity meters Mm -hmm. and see how much electricity we've used and work out the carbon output. Mm. Um, It's also worth pointing out at this point that there are lots of different greenhouse gases. uh, So it's not just CO2, like methane is, is really bad. Even worse than CO2, 20 times worse, I think. All oh right. Um,
1: that's the cow one, right?
0: That's the one emitted cows, by the cows, lads. which we'll probably be talking <laughs> about in episode <laughs> three, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that the, the science behind this, they measure everything in CO2 equivalent. Okay. So if something emits methane, they have converted it to CO2 to the grams or kilograms of CO2. So Great. that makes it really easy to understand and really easy to compare stuff. Yeah. Um, So, as I said, the electricity we could could say we're with electricity and we have no carbon output but for the sake of this to give us kind of a good understanding of the overall picture in Ireland, Mm -hmm. we're going to use the average output of the entire grid um, and that is going to make us more representative of the average Irish person, if that makes sense.
1: Uh, so if you're with air and all the emissions are like oh environmentally friendly
0: so it's, it's kind of it's kind of up to yourself i suppose another reason that uh another reason that i think you should count the average carbon output is sort of from a book i read called how bad are bananas and everything which is great and measures the carbon footprint of loads of stuff and right. has been very informative in us getting this ready and the author of that basically said that, you know, if you're with electricity and all your energy, all your electricity is green, mm-hmm. that's fair enough. But if you use more electricity than you usually would say in a given week, then somebody else that was using your green electricity is now using fossil fuel electricity. And that it's very hard to draw the line there. So the way he views it is if if it's all on the one grid, it's very hard to chop it up.
1: That, okay. Can I ask more questions? Yeah. Okay. So if it's from the one grid, okay. So we got one grid in Ireland yeah. that gives us all the electricity.
0: So, so the, everything that goes on, everything goes onto the one grid. So okay. the stuff from, I think renewables is mostly wind in Ireland, yeah. Um, and then fossil fuels, it all goes onto the same grid. But basically, electricity are the company that have, I guess, set up the wind farms. Mm-hmm. And the argument in favour of it is if their profits are going towards building more. Uh, wind farms, then that's making things more green.
1: Hmm. But there's still parts of the grid that's but been used. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So Dara, read me this. How are you going to be calculating, or how have you like designed how we're going to calculate heating?
0: Um. So so far we've got statistics ready for oil and for. Gas, which I think are the two most common in Ireland. forms of heating in Ireland. Mm. So you basically, if you have a gas meter, you're going to look at the meter um, at the kilowatt hours again. And that will give you your output. Once you put it into the spreadsheet, it'll give you a carbon output. For oil, if you can measure it in litres um so a couple of friends of mine that are doing this have oil so what i suggested is if you can fill up the tank (laughs) on ash wednesday (laughs) and then on easter sunday fill it up again and basically how much oil you've used uh will be however much it takes to fill the tank again Um, yeah but obviously that's going to be tricky especially if you have a massive tank that you never (laughs) fill um but yeah you need to get creative with how whatever way you're going to measure yeah um the oil with that same, if you're using barrels of gas, I guess you're gonna to have to get the overall weight or volume of the gas and try to figure out, try to break it down for how much you've used during Lent.
1: Cool, sounds pretty sweet.
0: And for heating and electricity, you'll get the total for each week. And before you input it into the spreadsheet, you'll divide it by the number of people living in the house. So if there's four people in the house, you'll divide the total liters of oil used by four and that will give you the best guess you can get for your own personal carbon footprint.
1: And um, Okay, so then for transport, how are you calculating transport?
0: Okay, so um, if you drive a car that uses petrol or diesel, Mm -hmm. then you just need to measure the amount of petrol or diesel you put into your car. So measure it in litres, so... I filled up the tank of my car (laughs) last night and then at the end of every week I'm going to fill the tank up again and that's how much diesel I'll have used during the week. And if you put that, that's a really accurate way of Mm. measuring uh, the diesel. Most of my driving I do on my own, uh, so it's easy to calculate. If you are driving in a car maybe with a few people, Then you can divide that amount of diesel by the amount of, or petrol by the amount of people in the car. (laughs) We'll be kind of explaining it week by week as we go along how we got to this. Then, in terms of public transport, we have just gotten some statistics that give the average footprint per kilometer on bus, on train, um, on light rail. And yeah, so they've come from studies that are looking at the carbon footprint of various public transport. Um, systems, so it wouldn't be a hundred percent accurate, but it would be accurate enough to give you an idea yeah. and i su- I suppose that's also worth pointing out at this juncture that this isn't a hundred percent accurate, no. so the heating <laughs> and electricity and stuff like that is very accurate. The petrol or diesel used in your car is very accurate, and then public transport slightly less accurate mm. and then food
1: tricky one food
0: it is a tricky one i suppose once again leaning on the mindset behind the book how bad are bananas and everything at the start the author points mm-hmm. out that at the moment we have a basic map to give us an indication of what has a high carbon footprint and a low carbon footprint and things with the more research that's being done things are getting more and more accurate but it's better to have a map that's vaguely correct than no map whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, So for foods, we have taken lots of numbers, lots of figures from a range of studies to try to give us a comprehensive list Mm. of foods and are sort of working off the average. So for any given food item, for example, um, organic beef that has come from Ireland is probably multiple times better than beef that has come from a farm in argentina and been shipped over to ireland so we're kind of taking the average Mm. for everything so it will give us a ballpark figure of the carbon footprint of food and we'll just kind of point out you know it mightn't be 100 percent accurate but it will be accurate enough to show you the huge differences between certain types of foods and others
1: sweet perfect Sounds good. Kind of like cool. the thing in the news with the County Wicklow chickens. you Hear that?
0: I didn't. Oh, oh, about Denny.
1: Denny, yeah,
0: Denny's scandalous. Absolute Absolutely. Scandal. What, what a disappointment. Tell you now, lads. Us down.
1: It was basically that they'd written that they'd gotten chickens from County Wicklow, and they'd actually come from.
0: They come from Holland, I think, and been packaged in Wicklow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the carbon footprint in that now. That would have been a bit of a whopper post-County Wicklow.
0: I think it'll be week three, maybe, when we're talking. Week three of Lent, we'll be going into depth about food. And also from next week, we'll be reporting back on how we got on in the first week. And then we'll be able to delve into the numbers. Yep. Jeez, maths is great, isn't it? I love a bit of maths. I love maths. I love maths. And once we've measured our carbon footprint, then we are going to... Offset it. So Eleanor, do you want to explain a bit about carbon offsetting?
1: Yes. So basically, we'll calculate how much CO2 we will have used. And then at the end, um, we'll be able to calculate how many trees we need to take that CO2 and turn it into oxygen. But something that we kind of spoke about was that we wanted to make sure people didn't see um this offsetting or planting trees as the solution—that like, oh well, we'll just plant fifty trees and that should do it, f- do us for the year. That the idea behind carbon Neutral Lent is um, becoming aware and acknowledge how much CO two you are producing um, accurately and kind of like as, as accurately as possible, so that you can take the steps then to cut it down and then finally get your trees to say like, oh look, last resort, this is this is as much CO two as I can break it down to. Now I'll plant my trees.
0: Exactly yeah offsetting is the last resort is the last option it is infinitely better not to put the emissions out there and i think it is also important to say that anything that i do during lent i want to be able to carry on that behavior after lent so i'm not going to like Leave the heat off in the house oh, yeah, for yeah, seven yeah, weeks yeah, yeah. just to be like, oh, I was carbon neutral, didn't use any yeah, gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything that I do, I'm not going to push myself to unrealistic things. So, yeah. so it's trying to cut down gradually, and it's trying to to be realistic and be sustainable in their behaviour in terms of it being something that we can carry on doing. Mm. It's kind um, of
1: like dieting, I suppose, isn't it? Surely you get those fad diets. You're like, oh, geez, I'll do that now for three weeks, and then after three weeks, you're like, oh, just back to the old basics. We're trying to do easy, breezy, sneezy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's uh, from Rick and Morty. It
0: is. It is like diets. And I think it's also, you know, another good metaphor, I think, is like, is giving up, you know, when you see people giving up smoking. Yeah. And, you know, that is such a like, it's it's a really well-received thing now. You know, if you say to somebody, oh, I've I've given up smoking. Mm. people will ask oh how long have you been off them oh three months yeah oh fair play to you and then you know people aren't too judgmental if you start smoking again because they realize how hard it is it's the same this is hard you know being being aware it's not it's easier to not be aware and once you are aware it still doesn't mean that you're going to do the right thing and sometimes you know you'll something that you know is bad but you just give in to the temptation almost <laughs> and it's it's trying to we're trying to be really non-judgmental yeah. you know and in in my view anything you do is better than doing nothing yeah and i suppose that is a big fear that people have in doing things is that um you know you're worried that people will say oh well why have you given up meat and you're driving an suv um <laughs> as far as i'm concerned doing anything and trying to do something is better than doing nothing having said that if you are forcing your opinions on people rather than engaging with people constructively they're more likely to call you out on being a hypocrite and probably even less likely to end up taking action themselves than if you had just said nothing to them um,
1: and I believe we've got a bit of a psychology to back that up there, do we do? <laughs> <there? laughs> yeah.
0: Well, not so much psychology, just a really uh, a, a really, really cool nice quote, quote from a guy called Mark Dahl, who's basically had a, a post that went viral. It's quite a long post. It's quite an eye-opening post. He goes into a lot of detail about how bad things have gotten and how bad they will get. So we're not going to dwell on that mm-hmm. too much. He has a lovely sentence or two that I'm going to read out where he says... I'm sick of my own hypocrisy that allows me to still use fossil fuels for transportation. I'm sick of those who use hypocrisy as an argument against action. And that was definitely me up until deciding to do carbon neutral lent was that uh, I, I don't know enough about this. I'll be a hypocrite by saying I'm trying to do this while still doing other things. Actually, no, that's not the, that's not the attitude to have. Yeah. Um, the attitude to have is to try and do as much as you can and don't worry about being a hypocrite that really, I think, does hold people back yeah. from from taking action. Okay, Eleanor, I'm going to read a quote to you and I'd like you to try and guess who said this. We have to ask ourselves questions about how deep the changes are that we need to make. Personally, while still staying an optimist, I don't believe we can go on as we are. I also think that there is an intellectual crisis that simply doesn't enable us and an intellectual crisis that doesn't address the great gaps in thought that there are. We cannot continue to have the current version of development that we have built as it is on escalation and acceleration. It is a contradiction to say that we can put all of what we've just heard now, which was discussion about climate change, Mm -hmm. into the existing model. The model is flawed and there is a need for a new paradigm of connection between economy, ecology and ethics.
1: Can I guess? You can guess, yeah. Michael D. Higgins.
0: Uh, it was Michael D. Higgins. Yay! Um, I
1: think it's because, was he reading it out at his election speech?
0: No, so this has, okay, so this has come from a conference, a biodiversity conference that took place towards the end of February uh, where he was speaking. You can watch the full video. It's a 37 minute video on president.ie it's up there somewhere Mm. and it is really really inspirational you know like he is so articulate about the issue he's so passionate about the issue and you know you just listen to it and he's kind of dealing with it you know a couple of levels deeper Deeper than than a lot of world leaders would deal with it i think there probably is there a better world leader um that could talk about it as as well and as articulately as him as Michael D I don't know, I don't think so and that is, it's great, it's really inspiring
1: he is very good to bring it up though he's a very good man to be talking about the climate because in his election speech he did bring it up and I was very very happy because it was, I think it was just after the IPCC report came out and I was watching the news quite, quite diligently to see if anything if anybody was bringing this up and he brought it up And I was like, "Fair play to you. Fair play to Michael D.
0: Yeah, no, he's great. And it's kind of, you know, hopefully, he kind of keeps at it and uh, and and keeps talking about it because he can he can explain it so well. Um, He has such a deep a deep understanding, um, and it really gives me hope. You know, people like Michael D. He knows way more than me about (laughs) so much and he's still so optimistic you know and that kind of gives me grounds for optimism it's like if he knows more if he knows more than me you know he probably has a greater understanding of the threats and the challenges and he's still hopeful Hmm. um, then that gives me hope you know there's one thing or it's it's a mantra of his that he says that I've heard him say in a couple of speeches and it's quite simple but he just says nothing is inevitable so basically anything's possible you Ah, know so You know, there's things that we think are going to happen. Um, and obviously with climate change, there are some things that are going to happen that we can't roll back on. But we don't know, you know, what big change is going to come soon. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We don't know what event is going to wake people up or what action is going to inspire yeah. people to to take note of things. And we don't know um, what could happen to turn things around really quickly and get people on board a good example that i come back to about uh people changing their behavior is is aldi and lidl you know do you remember when aldi and Niddle first came to ireland
1: i don't but <laughs> I, I just i remember them always being
0: there oh okay making me feel They're a little there. bit old there yeah. thanks Eleanor. no worries <laughs> um but you know when aldi and Niddle first came to ireland loads of people wouldn't go near them they're right. like oh no like all the stuff is on pallets they no don't way. have shelves it's okay, not a real okay. supermarket yeah and now they are this really love ma- everybody loves them they're this massive irish institution that like people will get, get the brochure get yeah, the yeah, leaflet <laughs> <laughs> and look yeah. at the leaflet and if you put them together they're now the biggest if you p- combine them yeah. they're now the biggest retailer in in really? ireland and that's probably not including all the people that go in there on thursdays for the special offers <laughs> um so but we're i gonna just think be that well no but i just think it's a really interesting case to show how something that when it arrived what about 15 yeah. years ago that it was kind of really skeptical people were skeptical sure. about it not yeah. sure and now it's become they've become these huge chains that mm. are a big part of of uh, the way we shop so you know i do think that there are things out there that will take root with that and probably a lot of people including the irish government can probably learn a lot of lessons from mm. aldi and little <laughs> if aldi and little would like to sponsor this podcast <laughs> seeing as we're plugging <laughs> them <laughs> so madly much. not that um, they need it. uh that would be great uh get in touch <laughs> on instagram or facebook or twitter or email us at carbonneutrallent at gmail.com. But, uh, but no, I think they're a really good example of mm. how quickly things can change, also kind of without people really noticing. noticing. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: just happens. Interesting.
0: Do you know what, Eleanor? What? I think it's time for some good news.
1: So every week on this podcast, we will be bringing some good news about the environment because uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Um and there are some, there are some good sunshine bits out there.
0: Yeah. Um. So we're recording this uh, about a week and a half before Ash Wednesday. So we have news from mid February. So I'm sure by the time this podcast comes out, the big news story will be carbon neutral Lent. <laughs> um yes. Two people taking on climate change one gram of co2 at a time but for now you're gonna have to listen to the news from (laughs) mid-february one of the really good news stories in relation to climate change in ireland this week um, is the news that the development of shannon lng has been postponed while it's taken to court at a european level so a new gas plant was supposed to have been built in the Shannon region and basically uh, fracked gas would have been brought in from the US and used for electricity generation, which is hard to believe.
1: It was gonna be import from the USA, which makes absolutely no no sense at all.
0: We would all like to think that we wouldn't be increasing our fossil fuel consumption. But the Friends of the Irish environment took the issue to court. And they claimed that boris Planola failed to take account of the possibility of the significant effects the proposed development would have on local wildlife and flora, including dolphins in a special area of conservation. And they also claimed there was a failure to take account of the 2015 Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act, which is intended to drive Ireland's transition in line with the commitments under the Paris Agreement. And... Their views are upheld by the judge and it's been sent to Europe, which is a really positive development that I don't think enough people have heard about.
2: Because
1: mm. it would have just been going a bit backwards into like things we shouldn't be doing. It's going backwards in time. We already know fossil fuels are bad to burn and it's now being taken to the EU And they will now discuss it in a year and a half's time or two years' time.
0: Some other good news are the reports that were circulating this week that a lot of people sent on to us because they felt it was relevant to us with our offsetting that there is enough space to grow an additional 1.2 trillion trees in parks, woodlands and abandoned land across the planet. And if we planted all that, that it would cancel out a decade of human emissions, which is... um, once again, would give hope, you know, that things could start turning around faster than we might think.
1: And the reason I am slightly against this, not against it, but I think it's great news. I mean, it's really good, really good fact, really good science. The reason I'm a little bit like, oh, no, is because in my head, what people generally do, what I've noticed, not not that I'm studying psychological behaviour behind people or anything, is that... When people find they have like this solution. So now we know like, oh, if we do that, it'll be fine. But who plants the trees, lads? (laughs) Who's going to plant them?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) I think that's, you know, that's one thing that any good news you see about climate change kind of makes you feel more relaxed about things. Like, you know, you see like Greta Thunberg now, who if you haven't seen, make sure to check out her videos. They're, They're amazingly amazingly inspirational speeches that she's making and what one person can do in terms of mobilizing so many school children is phenomenal but there is also that thing that oh that's great she's taking care of it
1: yes it's somebody else's you know somebody else looking after it it's not my problem anymore you know we can relax there again again lads we have the solution but if no, kind of, again, it kind of reminds me of a diet or going to the gym a little bit that we, we know how to do it. We know how to get on really well. And people are like, oh, if you do this, this and this, it'll be all fine. And you're like, oh, yeah, brilliant. The hard thing is actually doing it. Um, Except the difference is it's everybody's job. It's just you and your and your physique. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, bit bigger deal than just looking good. But it is good news. It's good news that somebody figured that out.
0: And one last good news story coming from China and India in an article published in Nature shows that there's been a huge increase in forested land in both those countries. And it's great to see. I think in China, people are being directly affected with pollution and Mm. smog. And that has really mobilized people there. Uh, There was a world record set there for the most trees planted in one day. I think it was something like six million trees in one day. Oh, which my was God. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically they have a very ambitious program to conserve and expand forests with the goal of mitigating land degradation, air pollution and climate change. It's um,
1: great bit of news.
0: Great bit of news. Um, and I think, you know, people often say, what's the point in us doing anything here in Ireland when... <laughs> You know, when Somebody the states when the US and China are doing so much damage, but actually um there are far more good news stories in terms of real action being taken in China mm. than there are in Ireland. Mm. Um so let's let's stop using them as an excuse. <laughs> let's do things.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our first podcast. It's been absolutely so much fun and we have our next podcast coming out next week which we will be able to tell you how we got on with our first week of being carbon neutral and our next episode is called Let's Make Ireland Green Again
0: and we will be focusing on travel and having a bit of a look at all our TDs flying all around the world and the carbon footprint of that as well as the carbon footprint of a few other things thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed it please give it a share please tell your friends and please follow us on facebook.com forward slash carbon neutral lent instagram.com forward slash carbon neutral lent twitter.com forward slash enviro and feel free to give us an email at carbon neutral lent at gmail.com thank you very much for listening
1: thanks for your, bye
0: probably also worth having on the record in case we want to put it into the podcast that when jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights he was carbon neutral
1: he was carbon neutral and not everybody was doing it it was a tough thing he was there himself wasn't the whole community behind him but you know maybe they should have been
0: jesus they (laughs) were awful pissed off of them when he came back
1: (laughs) where are you